My brothers and sisters in the Lord, there is a story that comes to us from the Old West. One day, the U.S. Cavalry was attacked by a group of Apache Indians. And in the midst of the attack, the Apache Indians were able to capture the safe of the paymaster. And so they captured the safe, but there was only one problem. The Apache Indians had never seen a safe before. They didn't know really what to make of it, but they knew one thing. They knew that inside the safe, there was a treasure. That inside this metal box, there was gold. And some sort of way, they had to get inside. And so they tried various ways and various methods. They beat the safe with their tomahawks with no effect. They tied the safe to their horses and they dragged it across the countryside, no effect. They threw it into the fire. And in the last desperate attempt, they went to the edge of the cliff and they threw it into a ravine. And when they got to the bottom of the ravine, the safe was all dented up, but it was still intact. And so they had become so frustrated and so annoyed with the safe that they decided to leave it on the side of the trail. They abandoned it. And not long after, when the cavalry was coming by, they found the safe. They called the paymaster, who quickly ran to the safe, and with a few twists of his wrist, he was able to open and receive the contents. Why, my brothers and sisters? because he knew the combination. It didn't take a whole lot of effort for him as it did for those Apache Indians who never got into the safe. All he had to do was use his wrist because of his knowledge, turn that dial, and because he knew the combination, he was able to receive its contents. My brothers and sisters, as we continue our Advent journey, in many ways, our heart can be like that safe. Our heart can be like that safe, and it is only God who knows that combination. It is only the Lord Jesus who can open up our hearts, because oftentimes they're locked up, they're closed up to all the graces and the joys that the Lord wants us to receive. So you see, my brothers and sisters, as we continue in these days of Advent, we begin to examine our own hearts, and we ask ourselves, do we allow the Lord Jesus to touch our heart? Do we allow the Lord Jesus to use his quote-unquote combination, because only he has it, to truly enter into our lives so that the word may become flesh within us? And how does the Lord Jesus enter into our lives? What does that combination look like, my friends, as we continue on this Advent journey? The first part, I would say, is this. The first thing we have to remember, my brothers and sisters, is the very important truth of the Incarnation. God has come down to us in Christ Jesus. And that's very important, and it's an essential part of the combination. God has come down to us in Christ Jesus. The Word has become flesh and made its dwelling amongst us. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son so we may not perish, but so that we may have eternal life. Do we recognize the glory of the Incarnation? And does it change our lives? 
I remember some years back, I was speaking to a class of middle school students. And for those of you who are teachers, middle school students are not always the easiest to get through to. But anyway, we were speaking, and I asked a question to a young man. I asked him, I said, what do you think was the toughest thing God ever had to do? What was the toughest thing for the Lord? And as a middle school boy, he said to me, well, Father, you don't know much. You're the priest. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> so I asked him again. I said, I want you to tell me. And so he began to think, and he said, well, in science class, we have just been talking about the creation of the world. And I thought maybe, maybe creation was the toughest thing God ever had to do. But it was also around Easter time, and so they were studying the joy of the resurrection in religion class. And so then he began to talk about the resurrection and the great glory. And then he looked at me and he said, but you know, thinking about it, I think the toughest thing God ever had to do is to try to reveal himself to us. For us to get to know him and to know his love and his mercy. And you know what, my friends? That middle school student had a great point. Because sometimes it's very difficult for us to truly see the face of the Lord. For that word to become flesh. For us to get to know God. Because God desires to be known. And he desires to be loved. And oftentimes, my friends, we miss that part of the combination. I would say that's the first part. The second part, my brothers and sisters, is this. As we continue our Advent journey, as part of that combination, quote unquote, of the Lord, it's that God humbled himself. God humbled himself, that great virtue of humility. What does St. Paul to the right to the church in Philippi? Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found in human appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That God humbled himself. My brothers and sisters, I was reading an article not long ago about a former football player who, in the state of Alabama, created sort of a compound, a ranch known as the Big Oaks Boy Ranch. It began in 1975. And basically the purpose of this ranch was to take in boys who had been abused for various reasons or various different types of abuse. And so they would come to this compound. And the person who was interviewing the gentleman was interviewing about the history of this particular ranch which had now expanded to also have a compound for girls. And in the course of the interview, there was one thing that really hit me. And it was a statement made by the gentleman who had started this particular project. And this is what he said. He said, the boys know that I love them. Because this is what they tell me. They tell me that they know that I love them because my wife and I live in a smaller house than they do. <laughs> because they live in this large dormitory building. And the husband and the wife live in a very little cottage on that piece of property. But that really hit me, my friends. That's what the boys tell this individual. We know that you love us because you live in a smaller house than we do. My brothers and sisters, the Lord lives in a smaller house than any of us. When he came down in that little town of Bethlehem, in that manger with a little straw, 
and some sheep and some shepherds, some oxen, whatever other animals were there. The great humility of God. Because certainly, my brothers and sisters, at that time, if the Son of God was coming, he should have been born in Rome or Athens or at least Jerusalem. But Bethlehem? Does anything good come from Bethlehem? My brothers and sisters, the great humility of God. Today, we would say if God was coming, if he was being born incarnate today, in our own time, he should be in New York City or he should be in Paris, or he should be in London, or even in Rome, but certainly not in the Lower Nile. I mean, if he's coming to New Orleans, at least uptown or Lakeview, I mean, come on. But you see, my brothers and sisters, that's often how we think. I remember reading one of those little letters where the kids write, Dear God, and this was written by a little girl. She was eight or nine years old, and it went something like this. It said, Dear God, did you allow Jesus to be born in Bethlehem because you thought it was a good place to start a franchise? <laughs> well, my brothers and sisters, the golden arches of Mickey D's has nothing on the golden arches of the church. God knew what he was doing. He humbled himself. Humility is the second part of that combination. The third part, my friends, is this. Humanity has been lifted up. What does St. Athanasius write? God became man so that we may become more like God. That whole divinization, not that we would be God, but that we may live out the holiness of the Lord, that we may live our life each and every day as faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus. Do we do that, my friends? Humanity has been lifted up, and we need to be lifted up, my brothers and sisters, because oftentimes we're in the cesspool of life in our own sinfulness. I love this little story. One of the, there was a downtown church who in a large metropolitan area decided that they were gonna do a living nativity pageant, a living Christmas pageant. And so they decided they had all the people there for the pageant that night and they had all live animals. And this church was in downtown in a large metropolitan area, and so it became very difficult to keep track of all these people and all these animals. And as you would guess, it was the donkey that got loose. And no one recognized that the donkey got loose, so the donkey kept walking down the street of the metropolitan area, and everybody was looking at this donkey until he found his way into sort of like a lounge or a club or a bar, and he walked right in. And the guy who was sitting there at the counter, he was startled to see this donkey in front of him. And you could see he kind of pushed back. And the bartender looked at him and said, Sir, don't worry. Have no fear. That's the ass from the Catholic church down the street. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, sometimes we're the donkey. And that is true. We are the donkey. I don't know about you, my friends, but in the past week, I've met a lot of donkeys. And I've probably been a donkey myself. Humanity is raised up. That's what we need to recognize, my friends. That is part of the combination, because we are living many times in our own sinfulness. And the final thing, my brothers and sisters, is this. It comes from the end of the gospel today, the quote from the prophet Isaiah. 
if we're going to truly prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord, if we're truly going to make straight a path for our God, then the last part of that combination is this. Salvation has drawn near. Because what does the prophet Isaiah say? All flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Salvation is drawn near. Have you seen it, my brothers and sisters? Have you seen the salvation of God? Because if you haven't, you've missed out. Have you seen that joy and love? And so many people ask me, well, Father, how can I see it? And I often use a very simple but very complex sort of example that if we put together in our own prayer life, we come to understand more of the mystery of God. If we think, my brothers and sisters, of our own everyday life and all of our everyday activities that we do, if that is the horizontal line of our life, and then we think of the vertical line as our prayer life, our spiritual life, the sacramental life of the church, all the things that we do in our relationship with God, where that vertical line and that horizontal line meet, my brothers and sisters, I like to call that the intersection between heaven and earth. That's where heaven and earth intersect. And what is it, my friends? It is the cross. Salvation is drawn near. And we come to the intersection, my friends. Do we see the intersection? Because I know some of you are bad drivers. I watch you in the parking lot when you leave church. When the deacon says, go in peace, you go. I don't know what kind of turns everyone's making, but there's all sorts of turns going on. But my brothers and sisters, have we found the intersection? One of my favorite images of the nativity is done by a painter who only shows the crib. But in showing the crib, there's a shadow that is falling on the crib and it is the shadow of the cross. Because that's the intersection between heaven and earth. My brothers and sisters, as we continue our Advent journey, may we always remember, it's the Lord who knows the combination. And the Lord wants to open our heart this day to truly be able to receive him on the feast of the nativity. Do you and I come to the intersection of heaven and earth? Do we allow the Lord to open our hearts? Or do we desire simply to remain in our sinfulness? Do we have eyes that see and ears that hear so that we can make straight a pathway for our God?